God meant it for good. He meant the evil that was done to Joseph for good. We really mean that, that God meant it for good, because that's what he says in the end of this section of Genesis chapter 50. And we'll conclude the, the study of Joseph's life next week. We have one more to go. And today we're going to look at chapters 46 through 47. And by now, if you've been here at all, you probably know the story, but Joseph has some dreams that his brothers didn't like because he had a dream that he was going to have authority over them. And so uh, they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And because God was with Joseph and God blessed Joseph, he, he uh, climbed the, the ladder of, of uh, prominence. And part of that was through interpreting some dreams that Pharaoh had. Pharaoh had dreams about uh, that Joseph interpreted to mean there's a famine coming for seven years and after seven years of plenty. So uh, Joseph's brothers show up in Egypt looking for food, and he doesn't. They don't recognize him. He knows who they are. So he tests them to see are are they trustworthy? Have they changed? Is there can I trust them with my family? And so uh, he finally reveals himself to them after they passed the test, particularly Brother Judah, who took the lead. So Joseph had revealed himself to his brothers in Egypt, and he told them not to freak out or be angry with themselves because they had sold him there for the very act of selling him into slavery God used to accomplish his purpose to send Joseph there to, to rescue and save many lives, uh, lives of people among the nations in Egypt and the surrounding nations, as well as in particular his, his people, Israel, saving them as a remnant of God's people of promise. And ultimately that people of promise would give birth to the Messiah. So it's all part of God's plan. So Joseph told his brothers to go back and bring his father and families and flocks and herds and all their stuff to Egypt. And Pharaoh said, yeah, go ahead, do that, go for it. So they go back to Canaan and they tell Jacob that Joseph is alive and is the ruler of all Egypt. And um, and Jacob can't believe it. And after he sees all the moving vans and he says, okay, I guess you're telling me the truth. So let's go. I'll go to see Joseph, my son, before I die. And that brings us up to chapter 46, and we'll look at the first three verses there on the screen, I think. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to, to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. So Israel, that is Jacob, takes his journey with all his family. He doesn't stop at any of the tourist traps along the way, but he does stop at Beersheba. Beersheba was a, the southernmost city in Israel, um, what, which wasn't Israel yet. It was still the land of Canaan. And uh, so he stops there because he, he, he offers sacrifices to God there because that was where God had appeared to his father Isaac and confirmed that he was the God of his father Abraham and that he, that is God, would be with him and, and bless him and multiply his offspring. So it's evident that Israel is promise-minded as he stops here. He's focused on the promise and he's concerned about leaving uh, the land of promise even though he's anxious to see his brother, I mean his son, Joseph. So God uh, speaks to Israel in, in night visions. 
to reconfirm to him that he is his father's God and that he shouldn't be a wimp and be afraid to go to Egypt because there he will carry out his promise to his grandfather Abraham and make him into a great nation as he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at earlier times in his life as well. So it's kind of ironic because during a famine in Isaac's day, um, Isaac had thought, maybe I should go to Egypt, and God said, don't go to Egypt, stay in this land that I'm, I'm going to show you, the land of Canaan. So Jacob was aware of that, so he, well, is this really okay to go to Egypt? I mean, I think it seems like the right thing to do. And, uh, and so it was a good time for God to show up and confirm to him that not only is it okay, it's, it's part of my plan for, for, for Israel. Um, he will use Egypt as a place of blessing and fulfillment as literally a womb to birth them into a great nation. Then in verse 4 of chapter 46, God says to Jacob, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. In fact, God says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. If you're struggling to know whether you should go someplace, if God's going to go there with you, that's pretty pretty safe company to go, don't you think? So he feels good about that. And that's different. God is different than the tribal deities, the people groups of, of the day believed in. The gods of the surrounding peoples could not cross borders. They didn't have passports. They had no jurisdiction in other lands. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had no such limitations. And in God's mission today, there are no closed countries. There's dangerous ones for God's people, but no closed ones for, for God. And God says, I will bring you up again, and Joseph's hand will close your eyes. As we'll see next week, Jacob will leave Egypt dead and be carried to, to, to be buried uh, with his ancestors. And God, so God's promise to bring Israel up again was not necessarily just for his corpse to come to Egypt, I mean to Canaan, but for uh, his, his posterity, his descendants. So God would bring his descendants Jacob's descendants of Israel, to um, the promised land in the Exodus. Then the next few verses in chapter 46, verses 5 to 7, Then Jacob set out for from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. No one is left behind. He completely vacates Egypt of all of his, his family and takes everyone to Egypt. Then in the next several verses, um, the, the narrator, Moses, lays out in particular who all the people were that left Egypt and went, or left Canaan and went to Egypt. And so um, he mentions the sons of Leah, Zilpah, Rachel, and Bilhah. Kind of complicated, but uh, Jacob had fallen in love in his earlier days with Rachel, and he wanted to marry her. So on his wedding night, in the dark, his father-in-law switched women on him, and he ended up marrying Leah, her older sister. And so then he said, well, I still want to marry Rachel, so he worked seven more years and married Rachel. They they got into competition with having kids. Rachel wasn't able to have kids for a while, so uh, Leah was cranking them out. Finally, Rachel says, well, I know what I'll do. I'll use my maid 
for my husband to uh, have kids through her. So she did that. And Leah said, well, I can do that too. So she used her maid. And, and so they had a, a competition to see who could have the most kids. It was kind of ugly. But um, so he lists the sons and daughters of Leah, uh, Rachel's, uh, Jacob's first wife, and their kids. They totaled 33. Then the sons of Leah's maid Zilpah and her kids total 16. If you add 33 and 16 together, what do you get? 33 plus 16 is a lot. <laughs> Too many? It's not a trick question. I just want to know who can do math. 49. Okay, 49 is a multiple of 7. So this is, we're all into 7s here. So she has 49, and they have 49 together, Leah and Zilpah. And then Jacob's wife, Rachel, her sons include Joseph and Benjamin, and their offspring total 14. So that is a multiple of seven, right? And then uh, the sons of Rachel's maid, Bilhah, total seven. Seven is multiple of seven, correct? Good. You are on it this morning. Alert. So the score, uh, Leah and... and um, Zilpah, 49, Rachel, and Bilhah, 21. Yeah, and that totals 70. So, <laughs> you are so with it. So in verses 26 and 27, I think I have that on the screen. I spared you all the other details. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt who were his own descendants, not including Rachel's, or not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were with him, who, who were born in, to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. So the number of Jacob's offspring who migrated to Egypt was 66. If you add Jacob and Joseph himself and Joseph's two sons, that you get 70. Okay, so enough of that. Jacob sends Judah again to Joseph to show the way to Goshen since their GPS is malfunctioning, which happens to us quite a bit. And so Joseph prepares his 1957 chariot and goes to meet his, yeah, his hot rod, meet his father in, in Goshen. <clears throat> he falls on his neck, which sounds like it would hurt, and weeps a very long time. We have verse 30 on the screen. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. What Israel says is like what Simeon says when he sees Jesus eight days old in the temple. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. So he's, he never thought he was going to see Joseph again and he sees him and very emotional. So Joseph wants to be sure uh, in introducing his family to Pharaoh in particular that all the diplomatic uh, uh, fine details are, are met. So every, every diplomatic step is, is taken, and, and they don't do anything awkward. So he's going to prime them for meeting Pharaoh. He says to his family, I will tell Pharaoh you have arrived from Canaan. I'll tell him the men are shepherds, for they, they have been keepers of livestock from our youth until now, just as our ancestors have been. Basically, he says, they're, it's, it's in the family. It, it's a family profession. They're not day laborers as shepherds. They're, they're professional 
livestock keepers and breeders. So you can dwell in the land of Goshen, he says. You need to be completely honest about your occupation, even though shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. I'm not sure why. Uh, maybe be, if, it, if they were day laborers and rather than professionals, then, then he uh, would be more offensive to them. But at any rate, that was their concern. So in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 47, I think that's on the screen. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all, their pos- all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And then after that, uh, Pharaoh said to his brothers, uh, what is your occupation? So they tell him. And they, they, they've, it's like all the training, all the prime, priming, the preparation that they did, they, they kind of forgot. I think they were nervous. I think they were just intimidated to be in uh, Pharaoh's presence. So they, they, they just say, we, we're shepherds. And they don't elaborate on it at all. And they, and they don't even bring up the fact that actually Pharaoh had invited them and Joseph was, uh, had, had uh, asked them to come. So they don't even name drop. They just say we're shepherds and without any elaboration. And they also lay out their plea directly that they have come because they can't pasture their flocks because of the famine. Famine is severe in Canaan. And so uh, without being really effective and without really sharing what Joseph prepared them to do, what's Pharaoh going to do? In verses 5 and 6, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So Pharaoh responds magnanimously. That's a word that means he was very generous. I mean, he just rolls out the red carpet and says, the land of Egypt is open to you. They're not on restricted immigration status, and he is ready to hire the most competent ones to to be in charge of the royal livestock. I think God was with them. In spite of the the, um, dropping the ball in terms of the speech they were to give. So then in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 47, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before stood him before Pharaoh. It's like he props him up because he's very old. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I think Jacob was very promise-minded. He, he, he stood in the promise that Abraham had, God had given to Abraham, in you and in all your offspring, the nations will be, will be blessed. And he had given that same promise to Isaac, and he had given that same promise to Jacob earlier in his life. So Jacob is, is getting that he is to be a blessing, to communicate blessing to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of, of your life? And then in verse 9, Jacob says to Pharaoh, the days of, of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. So Pharaoh has asked how many years of, of his life he's had, and Jacob answers not in terms so much of age, but in terms of being a sojourner. Um, he's been on a journey. He's been, he, he hasn't been settled. He hasn't arrived at his place of, of promise yet. His focus is on the fact that his life has been 130 years of journeying as an alien, not in a settled life. 
And he says the days have been few and evil. Yeah, so part of the evil he brought on himself by um, deceiving his dad Isaac and stealing the birthright of his brother Esau and uh, the problems he had in, in selecting a wife and getting more than he bargained for and all that took place with Joseph and uh, his daughter was, was uh, violated uh, by some uh, people in the land. So he's had a hard life. And he hasn't lived as long as Abraham and, and Isaac have. Uh, Abraham was 175 when he died, and Isaac was 180 when he died. But Jacob's perspective is shaped by his hope in God's promise. God has been with him in his sojourn, his hard sojourn. And God would be with him in Egypt and eventually make his descendants a great nation. So even though his 130-year sojourn has been hard and evil, his present and future hope in God and his promise frees him from bitterness and hardness and for blessing. And so he, he finishes his time, in verse 10 we see he finishes his time with, with Pharaoh, uh, blessing him again as Jacob blessed Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. When your hope is in God and his promise, even though life is hard, and it is for all of us, and some of us have more acute hardship conditions than others, when, when your hope is in God and his promises of blessing, though life is hard, you can bless. You can be a channel of blessing and grace. Verses 11 and 12. And Joseph settles his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. So they, they got a stakehold in the land of Egypt. In the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, another name for Goshen, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. So feeding 70 even though Jacob and family were sojourners and God would fulfill his promise to settle them in the land of Canaan eventually through the Exodus, um, for now, by God's providence, Joseph settles his family in Egypt, giving them a possession, property, a holding in Egypt. They actually become owners of some of the best land of Egypt, better than the, many of the Egyptians had. So what a deal. And Joseph kept them supplied with sufficient food. Even though God's people are not to live as if the present world is their ultimate home, God gives his people good provisions as he fulfills his mission to bless them and, and bless the nations through them. So God, we sang God is good, and he's very good that way. Meanwhile, there is no food in all the land since the famine is very severe. The lands are languishing under the famine. Canaan and Egypt and other surrounding lands. The people of Egypt and Canaan had spent all their money buying grain. Joseph says, okay, you can pay in livestock. After a year, the people had given all their livestock for grain. They tell Joseph they had no more livestock. Hey, we're just out of animals to give to you. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. Literally, we'll work for food and we'll be servants to Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. Joseph says, okay, deal. 
here is seed. When you can grow food again and the harvest is in, just pay Pharaoh 20%. And we read that uh, that tax never went away as taxes never do. So just so you know, when you, when you bring a tax in, it stays. It's there for good. But they perceived it not as uh, Joseph uh, exploiting them, but as saving them. They said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. Last few verses of this chapter 47, in verse 27 of chapter 47. I think that's on the screen. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Although Israelites are aliens in a strange land and surrounded by famine, God is with them. And because God is with them, geography, natural catastrophe don't stop his blessing. They continue to prosper, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. They become a great nation. They are beginning to become a great nation in Egypt. And then uh, in verse 28 and following, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. So he he was there 17 more years after he thought he was going to die. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Why is Jacob so concerned about being buried in Egypt? Not being buried in Egypt, but being buried in the land of Canaan. He's so concerned that he doesn't even take Joseph's word for it. But he says, you need to swear to me. Now, has anybody this week come to you and said, put your hand under my thigh and promise me something? We don't do that very much anymore, but that was a big sign in those days to that uh, you're guaranteeing you're going to do this because, hey, after he dies, who knows what 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 uh, Joseph may just forget. He may, oh, I don't want to go there. Got too much to do, too too busy. But he make sure that you do this. Swear to me, okay? So he does. So Jacob is very concerned about this because he wants to be buried in the area where his other inheritors of the promise are buried. And even though he's not going to go back there alive in this life, um, he, he wanted to be identified with God's promise to bring his people to the land of promise, Canaan, which became Israel. Egypt is to Jacob and his family as the ark was to Noah, a temporary means of deliverance from external disaster. As it says in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Going down into Egypt eventually becomes going down into slavery. So they do become slaves eventually. Another pharaoh arises that doesn't know Joseph, and he says, hey, we, we need the free help. And so he makes slaves of the nations, the later of the nation of Israel. But God is working out his redemptive plan, even though they're suffering, even through their suffering. Just as God sent Joseph to Egypt as a slave in order to save Israel and the surrounding world from famine, 
So God brings Israel to Egypt where they will be enslaved but grow into a nation. Then God will lead them out of slavery to the promised land. And there they will eventually give birth to the Messiah as we're about to celebrate for this time of year. So just some final comments. One is that God accomplishes salvation for his people by sending himself to be with them. God accomplishes salvation for his people by sending himself to be with them. You, you probably are familiar with the descriptive name given to Jesus before he was born that was actually prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Emmanuel, so the angel said to Joseph, he, his name will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That's what Jesus, who Jesus is. That's what he is. He is God with us. And also in John's gospel, the word became flesh. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. God is far more with us now than he ever was with Jacob and Israel in Egypt. He's just completely with us in Christ. Another comment is Jesus is with his people in his mission. Probably a familiar text, but Matthew 28, 19-20 on the screen, I think. After Jesus accomplished his saving mission, and so his mission was to save a people for his name. His mission was to take on humanity, become add into his being son of God, also being a human being. So that was part of his mission, to take on human identity. To obey God perfectly where Adam had failed and where Israel had failed. To display his kingdom mercy and power. To teach the way of the kingdom of God. And then to die on the cross as a substitute for our punishment, taking our sins upon himself, the guilt of our sins and being raised from the dead, that we could have eternal life. That was his mission. He sent us then as to carry on that mission uh, that he had accomplished by making disciples of all nations, by going to people. So to make a disciple, you have to actually go to somebody. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you're introducing them to a God who is one God, but exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit not just the man upstairs or God, whomever you think him to be, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. And we do that through relationships, through through Christ-centered relationships. And Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as you carry out this work of making disciples, I am in it with you. And I'm making disciples through you. This age in which we live until Christ returns is, is for being fruitful in multiplying disciples among all nations. And uh, this is hard work. Um, the most unreached nations are the hardest ones to reach by definition. And just discipling your kids is super hard work, right? Because there's resistance to the gospel that we're born with gospel-resistant DNA. But Jesus promises to be with us as we participate in his mission of making disciples. Can God use the ISIS crisis, ISIL, the Islamic State crisis, to grow his church? where many Lebanese Christians, Christians in Lebanon, held deep distrust of Syrians because of their history, 
their past bad relationships. They're now embracing them. Um, A Lebanese pastor says, could we ever dream of Sunni Muslims coming to our churches? Of course not. We prayed for a long time for this to happen, and now is the time. Muslims are having dreams and visions that lead them to learn about Jesus. People are asking why the church is helping them when they have enough reason to hate them. It's not only in Lebanon, it's in Syria itself. Pastors report many Muslim background believers in in their church buildings. As a young Christian woman from Syria recently said, thank God that we have gone through this crisis. Thank God that we've gone through this crisis. Can you imagine what's happening there and she's thanking God for it? Because we as a church have become stronger because of it. We had to step out of our comfort zone. I hate stepping out of my comfort zone. I just do not like it. Um, this, an, an Eastern Syrian woman says she had to step out of her comfort zone. Her church had to step out of their comfort zone. God pushed the church to a new stage, reaching the people that are outside of the church that didn't happen before the war. We only shared the gospel with those who came to the church. We're overwhelmed. There's so much to do now. Can God use your crisis, your problem, your brokenness, your defects to grow his church, to encourage others in Christ? Jim, sitting at the back of the room, encouraged me this morning. He's really hurting. And because he's faithful, because he made himself come here, he said to me, what better place could I be than to be here? So I said, should you really be here, Jim? And he said, yeah, I should. And so Jim was able to encourage me by speaking through his pain because of his trust and his love for Christ and and wanting to be in the vicinity of where Christ's people are serving and encouraging one another. As Christians, we are... Elect exiles, says Peter in First Peter, first letter. We're chosen sojourners. We, we live in Egypt that is this world. We, we even may enjoy some of the good things, the best of the land of Egypt, but this world is not our home. We suffer and face hardships. As Peter says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, and that's code word uh, from the Old Testament that usually referred to the land, so the inheritance, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And he says, in this you rejoice, though you have been grieved by various trials. And uh, just a reminder, uh, you can pray that I can find, I can continue to rejoice in the struggles of facing Parkinson's because my body a lot of times doesn't work very well and I, I get it gets very difficult for me to function at times. So I really need your prayers for functionality and for rejoicing and honoring Christ in, in my sickness. I thank you, thank you for, for continuing to pray for me. The normal Christian life is is God being with us in the midst of trials and suffering. This is a normal Christian life. 
He works all things for good. Put that verse up on the screen, that passage. Of our becoming like Christ, that's the good that he's working all things. It's, It's so good that he risks our faith and trust by allowing us to go through times of suffering and trial where he, that he infuses with his grace and grows us into Christ-likeness. And we're, we're going to get there. He, he will accomplish that mission, even if we fight against it, kicking and screaming. He will accomplish that mission. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Right, Charity? For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew he had a preordained love relationship with. He also pre-designed, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. I'm going to pray with you and we'll uh, continue with some worship. Jesus, your redeeming grace and power are so perfect. And even as we sang this morning, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Cause our faith to grow richer and deeper. Thank you, Father, that you give us so many good things that are just good things. Uh, Thanksgiving dinners, family and friends, places to live, clothes to wear, food to eat, schools to go to, jobs to work. And help us, Father, when the chips are down, where the rubber meets the road, to really trust you in the trials that we're facing. You are with us in your mission to save us as a people that are Christ-conformed, Christ-like, who become little Christ. Help us to really value that, to long for that, to to long to know him more so we know what we're growing into. Strengthen us, Father, for the way that you've called us to make disciples, to carry on the mission of Jesus. Be with us in our suffering. We're just asking you to do what you've already promised that you will do. You're faithful. You're good. In Christ we pray. Amen.